Hello, and welcome back to my little podcast about the music industry, Behind the Music Business Podcast, where I talk to a whole host of different, eclectic, interesting individuals that operate in the UK music business about them, about their career path into the music business about what their roles have been, about what their company does, and about their motivations for doing this. This week's episode is with music business journalist Rianne Jones. Rianne has written for a number of different publications, including Music Week, The Guardian, and currently for Music Business Worldwide, and also for Hits magazine in the US. Uh, Rianne was very welcoming. Uh, she welcomed me into her home for this chat about journalism and about getting into journalism from her perspective. Someone who didn't go through some of the more traditional routes. We talked about getting into journalism. Uh, we talked about being a freelance journalist. And she also gave a little insight into the book that she's currently writing that will be hopefully released sooner rather than later, probably next year. So looking forward to that. I'll be back at the end to chat a bit more. Um, but for now, here is my conversation with freelance music business journalist, Rianne Jones. <laughs> I wanted to start with, and I think from from the the message I, I sent you was I wanted to kind of start at the beginning, basically, uh, your interests as a kid, and how that kind of pointed you in the direction that you went in when you were within the education system. Well, like a lot of people will say, it all felt it all felt like a bit of an accident at the time. But if I look back retrospectively, it all makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. The path that I've chosen because um, I come from a very musical family. My parents were both full-time music teachers when I was playing up. My dad was an amazing trumpet player. Um, he led a concert band and traveled all over the world. And my mum is a brilliant singer, piano player, multi-instrumentalist, and she used to lead the music department at our school. Um, so growing up, like we had a lot of music in the house and I was always encouraged to play musical instruments. Did you want to be a performer? Were you one of those creative kids? Not as a kid. I enjoyed some aspects of um, piano playing. Like I loved getting the Alicia Keys piano book and like teaching myself my favorite songs um, mm -hmm. when, when I was a little bit older. But I found the lessons and the grades thing quite painful, especially because my mom would force me to like come home from lunch break and practice. Oh, right. Wow. Okay. And that just oh, cool. is, is not fun for a kid. Um, so that turned me off a bit. Um, and I did the thing that I did do though that I did love when I was growing up was I did loads of dancing, like ballet was my thing. Right. Um, so that was if there was anywhere that I was going to go, it was going to be as a full-time dancer. 
and then I kind of at school I was interested in um, I loved English and I loved art. I wasn't very good at art, but I just loved it. I found the lesson really enjoyable. How aware were you of where that could take you? Or was it just kind of bumbling through, pointing in the direction of the things that you were interested in? Yeah, I mean, I also loved magazines from my early teens, but honestly, I don't ever remember hearing the word journalist ever before until I kind of was thought that that might be a job and I think I only discovered that when I was like 18 or something but at school when you're doing the whole careers stuff journalism was never something that was suggested to me or anyone that I knew was pursuing Um, none of my family are in that kind of career so yeah like I think that in order to like pursue a particular path you have to have the idea from somewhere don't Mm -hmm. you you have to have had the information and um i really didn't have it and maybe if i'd have had it my education wouldn't have taken the slightly weird path it ended up taking because i would have been like no that's what i want to do but maybe i'm wrong i don't know maybe i had to be like a certain level of maturity to choose the path that i chose so you went to university to do English literature or English literature in media? It was a specific... Yeah, sort of. I did, like after leaving school, I did a music practice course. Okay. Because I was like, my, this, my the scene of friends that I was in were very music oriented. A lot of them were musicians. My One of my closest friends at school chose to do this college course. And I didn't want to do A-levels and I was like, I think I was just like, that looks quite cool. I can go to some gigs and like, I can wear my own clothes every day and I don't have to wear a uniform and I can hang out with cool people. So I did that. And of course it wasn't the right thing for me. Like I just, I very much discovered during that course that I don't want to be a music performer. Right. And I quit before the end of it. Also, cause I had to leave home and I had to leave, I had to leave college cause I just couldn't afford to stay there. And right. I had to go and get a full time job, but I, even if I'd have finished the course, I would have gotten a pretty awful grade and I wouldn't have done anything with it anyway. And then after a bit, after some time of working, I went to do like an access to HE course, which is this year course. They call it the equivalent of A-levels. Mm-hmm. It's quite intense. Um, Cause I was like, I want to go to university. I don't want to work in a call center for the rest of my life. Not that there's anything wrong with that job, of course, but for me at the time, I just, I did it for a bit and it was fun for a bit and then I was like I want something else now and because I did this access to HE course which I did really well on I got distinctions on all of the subjects but the university courses that I applied for which were all journalism courses um, didn't accept me because they were like they're just a bit snooty about he courses they think it's not proper really they want they want people to have a levels and so by that point you're applying for journalism courses Uh you've kind of gone i want to write these things that i'm reading is that was was that the was that the focus on it you know you mentioned that no one had mentioned journalism to you earlier on but you discovered that whole world by this point yeah I, i remember when I was working in the call centre, people would call up and you could see a little bit about them, their job title and their age and stuff like that. And I remember like 
whenever I saw journalists, which wasn't very often, something inside me would be like, oh, I'm speaking to like almost like a famous person. That's mm -hmm. what it felt like to me. It felt like really exciting to be speaking to this person who was a journalist. And that must have been the thing that kind of went, oh, that thing exists and maybe I could do that and wouldn't that be an amazing job? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where it came from, really. So, yeah, so I tried to go and do journalism, journalism course at uni, but I didn't get in. And then in clearing, I got a place at a university that my friend was at. And it was like English language in the media, which sort of sounds like journalism, mm -hmm. probably quite similar to the courses that I've already applied for. I can be with my friend. I don't have any other choices. Mm -hmm. Like, let's do that. It sounds good. And I think a lot of people do this. You apply for the course because it looks quite cool. Yeah, but you, yeah. don't, you don't really properly sit down and look at the modules and what they consist of um, and really ask yourself, do I want to do those modules? And some of the modules were fun, like I did, like media and cultural studies I really enjoyed, but a lot of it was linguistics and the etymology of language. Lancaster is like a very academic university. Well, I was going to say, there's, there, there's two different ways of looking at higher education there's the academic university side of things and then there's the more vocational learn on the job yes. learn about the job yes um so that's what i was really lacking on that degree the actual practical hands-on stuff i did some creative creative writing which was fun but um overall and also i'd gone when i was 21 and i'd been living out of home and been self-sustainable from for already kind of two three years at that point so going to a campus university with people who were like two or three years younger than me, it was a bit of a shock to the system and mm -hmm. I never felt like I really fitted in. I didn't really feel like at home there. I felt like I'd regressed in life and I just wanted to get out into the world and like do the thing that I wanted to do. So did the opportunity to work come about which meant that you left? university or did you go you know what this isn't for me I'm gonna go down a different path around Easter time in the degree I was I'm not happy so what can I do I think I should transfer my degree to a practical London course mm -hmm. and just see if I can get into like a media and cultural studies course in London and transfer my credits over and finish my degree there and do loads of work experience while I'm there in journalism like then I can get that thing that I'm lacking so over the summer holidays, like I was trying to do that and I was also doing a work experience job in London at a place called The National Student, which is like a student news website. So I was working there, trying to get this university place, calling people all the time, like emailing people, just trying to get answers over the summer holidays when the universities are pretty quiet. And at the same time, because I was writing news for this student news website, I would be like scouring the newspapers to look for stories that might be relevant for the website that I was writing for. And I found this story while looking on The Guardian and it was like this woman, this education journalist was looking for an apprentice to like train on the job because she didn't believe that, she thought that journalism had become too elitist and that it, there was too much emphasis on having to have a degree to get into the profession and that didn't make sense because journalism has always been a very practical job and previously people would be trained through apprenticeship style things before the whole emphasis on university came about yeah, yeah. Um, and I saw that and I was like that is my job 
oh my God, I'm gonna die if I don't get that job. I have to get that job. Like that was my one, that was the thing that I've been looking for. So I applied for that and I still tried to like wrap up a few things with London universities and I did in the end actually like get a place. I think it was at Middlesex University. Uh, they said that I could transfer my course, but that was like mid-September time I got that answer. All the while I was kind of waiting on this other thing and the, um, I think the interviews took place beginning of September for that apprentice job. It was quite intense. There was mm -hmm. like 50 people in a room. It was like over two days and we had to like do tasks and then whoever would pass the task would be, it's like the actual apprentice. Okay. Um, that must have been quite, um, yeah, for certain people's dispositions, that's not the, the easiest process to go through. No, it was, it was intense, but I was just, I just have like a dogged determination. Okay. I was like, I'm going to get this job. I am going to get this job. I have to get this job. I have to like, just be the best that I possibly can be right now. And then, yeah, and then after the two days, kind of, I thought, I thought it ended quite well, but I didn't know, like, there was some other really, really good people, like, that would have been amazing at that job um, that I was competing against. And then got the train back to Bolton, which is where my family were living at the time. Just kind of sat tight for a bit, and then I ended up getting the job. And that was, like, the beginning of my life. What did that job involve? What were you doing that first... 12, 18 months? It was actually really only about eight months because it was like one academic year. Right. And I was studying for an apprentice at Harlow College. Right. An, an apprenticeship. And that was in business and administration um, because at the time, a journalism apprenticeship didn't actually exist. The framework didn't exist. Mm -hmm. It does now, which cool. is amazing. Um, but it didn't, so we just had to kind of tailor it a bit. And so I was doing that and like I was working with Janet, the woman who hired mm -hmm. me every day. Sometimes I'd be out in London with her, going to her interviews, sitting there and just listening and okay. seeing how she conducted interviews. I'd be going to events. She used to put on events. Um, so I might be going and helping her out, put on like a conference, just doing literally anything that she needed help with, mm -hmm. helping her with transcribing. I also did some writing, like some, yeah, some writing jobs with her, which she like helped me loads with. And I had a blog that I did for The Guardian at the time about my experience and I did that and she helped me loads with that. With constant feedback all the time and like, it was painful because there was often five or six or seven or eight drafts of one article that was frustrating, but she gave me that time mm -hmm. because she's like she knew that that was the only way that I was going to get better. Um, so she was just incredible, and yeah, like just a, like a mismatch, like mixed match of admin, actual journalism, witnessing, and then doing like college work as well. I had to go to actual classes in college. Um, busy eight months. Then. Yes, yeah, it was busy. Yeah, but it was amazing, and I'm very, very grateful for that experience, because if I didn't get that, I would not be where I am today, for sure. But you, you've written for a number of business publications, industry publications. What, why did you go down or why have you gone down that route as opposed to talking to the, to the artists and things like that? 
when I did the apprenticeship, I was like, obviously at the end of this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a job with Guardian and it might be an education or social something, I don't know. That's just like, I was like, yeah, that's what I wanna do. Because while I was on my access course, I did sociology and I found that really fascinating. We read a lot of Guardian articles and I was mm -hmm. like, I really wanna write for the Guardian at that point. And when it, like we had to, I had to get a job at the end of the apprenticeship. Like we had to kind of, that was one of the things that would have proved that it worked. Mm -hmm. And um, so we we're on the lookout for things that might have been relevant. And my boss's husband, at the time was the page designer for Music Week. Okay. And he was, he heard in the office they were looking for an intern. So. So it was one of those. Old, it was one of those. This is available. Yeah. Moments. Like, and she was like, and I was, and I was a bit like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that really. Like, I want to write for The Guardian again. Like, that's not really like Music Week, which just wasn't on my horizons at all. I'd never even heard of the magazine before. And. And she was like, just do it for a bit. I remember her saying, like, just do it for a year. Like, just get the job, get the experience. And like, it'll, it'll move you on to something else. I need the money now. I just need to take the job. And originally they were looking for like an unpaid intern. But I remember just saying to the editor at the time, like, I can't, if it's unpaid, I can't take it. And like, not a lot of people will be able to take the job. And that's actually really unfair. Mm -hmm. So they actually gave me a proper job. Um, and I reluctantly joined in a way but I was like really enthusiastic obviously yeah, yeah. and um, I was I was how, really happy how much of job. how much about the music business did you know at that point nothing about the music business I knew about music yeah. but the business side of things no I mean I, I must have known a little bit because I do remember talking to my then boss in the interview like about a few of the big news stories and I was mm -hmm. genuinely fascinated and also about some artists that had some interesting marketing styles of artists and I, and that wasn't like that I'd just done research before the interview that was like just stuff that I knew because I was interested in reading about it and searching that sort of information out but I had no idea like I didn't know who who people were or how small it was right either so in that that first year you know what were some of the things that you worked on at music week it was a really small team so I was able to actually write articles quite mm -hmm. quickly, which was amazing. Um, I did some stuff like I would do the chart data. Um, I would kind of have sections of the magazine that would be mine to fill. I With would anything do, that you want? No. Or kind like, of within a, within a parameter? Yes, right. within a parameter. Um, so every week we would like do a summary of what was in a certain music magazine that week I would do that um with tweets of the week compile all the most interesting tweets from the industry and put them on I think the page I got in there a couple of times yes <laughs> everyone Back in loves the day. it <laughs> and just yeah stuff like that and then an article every now and again and also online articles I would I would do quite a few of those mm -hmm. and then I would also be interviewing people and I'd get a news story every now and again and it just built up and up and up and up and up until I was like I'm, I mean I stayed there for three years and by the time I'd left I'd worked on like every part of the magazine and I was standing in for the editor when he was sick because it was a tiny team and there was a lot of changes and it was mm -hmm. just like a mad time. What was the team like when you were there? Very small like there was like one desk 
and we'd all sit around that desk, editorial team would be like six maximum. Right. And that includes the editor and the publisher. Mm-hmm. So for a weekly magazine, that was quite intense. Yeah. But it was amazing. I loved it. Like I loved the people there. It was, I really did a lot of my growing up there. Sometimes in like a good way and probably sometimes in a not very good way. But the people around me were like mm-hmm. very supportive of that. And my editor especially, like Tim Ingham, who now runs Music Business Worldwide, yes. just like gave me all the time in the world and really helped me because he's really good. So I learned a lot from him. Um, Tina Hart was there, who was amazing and remains a friend to this day. And she's now doing like lots of PR stuff for important music companies, including, including Warner. Tom's also, Tom Bikinkis is off doing PR. Just like a really lovely, group of people um like a little like a little community and you got involved with music business worldwide with tim from the from the very beginning tim left music week to set up mbw at the time that i was still working at music week Mm -hmm. when he left i was like i want to go to but I stuck it out for another six months or so. And then I left to go freelance, which was like quite a risky thing to do because on paper I had, I was news editor of Music Week. That's quite a big job to leave when you're like, however old I was at the time, like, how old was I? (laughs) About, About 26, 27. Right. So when I left, I was like, I remember saying to him like, I'm leaving, like, just so you know, I'm available for work. Like, I really want to work with you. I really want to work with you. And I just kept saying that to him all the time. And he mm-hmm. wasn't in a position to give me any promises. He'd just started his business. Yeah. He had like a new baby. He was, it was all of, like he needed to get it all set up before he thought about even hiring or paying other people. Mm-hmm. But I just always made him very aware that I was like constantly available whenever he needed me. Um, and then at some point, like when he'd built it up to, to be um, sustainable, which took a relatively short, relatively short period of time. Um, slowly he started giving me work and that just built and built and built and built. And um, last year I was working there quite, I was working there really closely with him, like every day I was doing the newsletter with him. I was, yeah, the right hand person as it were. And the idea was to lead up to me being hired as the deputy editor of MBW. But I turned that job down in the end because um, I just found it's very busy and it's very intense, that role. And who knows what's gonna happen in the future. Maybe at some point I will take on that sort of thing, but I just feel like I hadn't, I'm not quite finished with the freelance thing yet. Okay. And I've had a few things that I wanted to do for myself, um, like a few passion projects that I wanted to pursue just to see where they would lead me. KMBW is amazing, but it's it's very much someone else's baby. And I kind of wanted to see if I could build something of my mm-hmm. own, not, yeah. not a platform, um, but just my own little thing, whatever that is, I don't know. That might just be my freelance career. Yeah. Um, I just kind of, I wanted to, continue having that freedom to be able to do stuff like that. Have 
Before I grill you about being freelance and that freelance career and some of your um, passion, personal projects that you mentioned before we started recording, uh, I'm I'm interested, curious, kind of to 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 find out a little bit more about you know the the world of you know business journalism, you know those on a day to day basis, whether you're in an office or whether you're working from here, what is it you are actually doing? So from from the music business worldwide side of things, you know, there's it's a it's a website and now a quarterly physical publication. Yes. So I mean, there the quarterly physical publication is Music Business UK. Mm-hmm. So it's focused on the UK market. Yep. Music Business Worldwide is of course global. Yep. Um, and there's also a new magazine that Tim has launched recently called which is like MB USA. Right. So the USA version of MBUK. Um, I don't know how often that will be. Yeah, but um, but from uh, from you know that kind of project that you have been fairly closely involved with, really closely involved with since its inception. Are you again? Do you have certain parameters that you're that you're um, that you're being asked to fill up, or is it kind of yours to to go out and find the information, find the stories? How? How involved, how closely aware of just everything that's going on in the music business are you at any given moment in time, that sort of stuff? Well, my relationship with it has <coughs> changed. So I'll speak kind of from two different perspectives. This time last year, um, every day was the main task was to find stories for the newsletter. So because of that, you're on top of all the stories in the music business. and. Sometimes you're writing up original things because you've got a lead. Um, so it's more investigative. Sometimes in there's a lot of like press release stories. Um, there's a lot of building a newsletter. Maybe like one or two stories a day will be kind of original things or things that you can like put your own spin on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you kind of ideally you've got to find like one big story for the lead newsletter. And sometimes you've got one because you've already got a feature that's in the banks and ready to go, or Tim's been working on something, or even you've been working on something for a while and it's ready to go. Um, but that's quite that's also quite a lot of pressure. Like if you haven't got something in the bank, it's like you've got to find something amazing very quickly. So how much running around are you doing? Like there'll be there'll be at least a couple of times a week when you need to find like a big story yeah. for the top. And sometimes they're easy, they're more easy to find than others. Like sometimes something will be breaking just as you're about to send the newsletter and it'll be a big story and you can put it in, no problem, mm-hmm. done. Sometimes, yeah, you've got to like do a bit of running around and finding something, lots of online research, sometimes speaking to people, um, sometimes following a lead that you've heard at some event or something. Um, yeah, it's just, quite it can be quite intense Mm -hmm. is that the bit that you enjoy the most that side of it yeah there's definitely there's definitely like an adrenaline rush from doing that but I I, I think that maybe I prefer having a bit more time to do something and to investigate something Um, I don't like I find the quick fast turnover news cycle quite difficult I think for my brain, um, 
I kind of get into this like do you think there is a there, there there's two different sides of of this type of journalism and that you get you have an aptitude for one or the other there's a certain type of person that likes the fast-paced side of things and then there's a different type of person that enjoys building something you know putting something together over a long longer periods of time yeah maybe because like both suit quite different personality traits I guess but but I also think that like you can definitely be both and mm. there there's I could if I wanted to or needed to I could get back into that quick news cycle thing again yeah. headspace no problem and I can do it but I also you know there's other times when I think I enjoy the more feature focused things I think everyone can turn their hand to both it's just about what you prefer and what you prefer might be what you prefer at that point in your life because of that particular reason or you want to try something different or some point in future you might change you mentioned freelancing you mentioned that you're not done with freelancing just yet for the unin uninitiated tell tell me a little bit about what being a freelance journalist actually involves entails looks like are you you know you you write for a number of publications are you going to them with stories are you putting something together and then trying to to flog it to sell it into places or are you being brought in to specifically put something together or is it a little bit of both how so does it, how does it work this is probably one of the reasons why i wanted to stay freelance in that i'm in a very privileged position because i'm um i have like a monthly contract with this US, US publication called Hits and I know exactly how much they're going to pay me each month and I do stories for them like every day more or less on the UK music mm -hmm. market so I don't have to ever, ever chase them to pay me I don't have to pitch them I've got free reign I just I know what they want now was I that couldn't. something that you was was that an advertised position that you went after or did they get in touch with you because um, of the reputation that you'd built? They were, the, Tim, who's head of MBW, um, had, they were looking for someone. I think they got in touch with him and said, can you recommend anyone? Right. And he recommended me. And awesome. Yeah, I got that. So that was great. And that was like quite soon after I'd just gone freelance. So that was just a massive saving grace. And then I have MBW, um, which pays me you know, depending on the work I do and the relationship that I have with it at that time, but I know that I've got regular income coming in as well from mm -hmm. MBW. And yep. um, now that I'm not doing the daily MBW, like newsletter stuff, I'm pitching quite a lot of the time to Tim, interviews, especially for the magazine. I usually have ideas for or ideas for columns, but that's great. Again, don't need to chase him to pay me. You've got a really good relationship with him, um, guaranteed work. He's always happy to give me more if I need it. So that's amazing because I'm not, I have basically two part-time jobs while still maintaining like my freelance mm -hmm. autonomy. And every now and again, I will pitch to other places or other places will come to me. Like I do some work com for conferences every now and again. Um, PRS has an in-house magazine called M Magazine that yep. I write a feature for every now and again. Baskers The Works, I write for them every now and again. The MU's magazine every now and again. But, at, um, but at, at the stage that you're at, that's just you have built up a network, contacts, and every now and again you might reach out to them, or 
to yeah. say, hey, I've actually got, you know, for instance, you know, PRS or, or MPA stuff, you might come up with an idea in that and you could pitch it to them, yeah. vice versa. Or they come to me, which is quite nice. Quite a few people will come to me now mm -hmm. and just say, because they need help, they need editorial help. So yeah, what a great position to be in. Have you managed to write for The Guardian yet? Yes. Um, yeah. I had that blog that I did when I was an apprentice and then I did, um, I did a news story a while ago and I did a news story towards the end of last year, like why has the UK stopped producing global pop superstars? And I loved doing that story, like that was just an idea that I had and I was like, shall I just pitch it to them and just see? They had a new deputy music editor who I'd met before called Laura Snapes, who I know was quite open to pitches. And I just tried and they said yes. And that was really encouraging. And, I'd, and then I was like, I really want to do more of that. That's one, definitely one of my goals to write mm -hmm. more for the broadsheets. Um, but I'm writing a book at the moment and that's sort of taken over my life really. And I can't just try and do it all at the same time. What's the book? So Are you in a position to, to talk about it? Yes, um, it's a health focused self-help guide for musicians Okay. on how to have a long and sustainable career in the music industry. So how did the that idea come about? Um, how long have you been working on it, that sort of thing? So it's a joint idea because I've got a co-author called mm -hmm. Lucy Heyman, who's a PhD researcher. And we both individually had the idea, which kind of makes sense. So I've done a few features about this subject over the last few years and she's doing her PhD on health and wellbeing and popular musicians at the Royal College of Music. Okay. And she's always had the idea that a lot of academic research goes in journals or is filed away and is, you know, uses a lot of very long words that not a lot of people can kind of relate to. And she's like, she wants to bring that sort of research more into the public sphere in, in an accessible way. Mm -hmm. And then I had this, just the idea for the book while I was on holiday last year, at the beginning of last year, and kind of just let it sit in the back of my mind for a bit. and. She's a contact who, who I've chatted to before about this subject and we just met up for a catch up and we're both talking about our future dreams and both actually mentioned the book. And then we were like, oh, that's interesting. We basically, we basically had the same idea. Why don't we try and do it together? Mm -hmm. And that ensued what's been a year now of just planning and work and fundraising we've gone to all the major music companies to ask if they'd fund it because we're planning on self-publishing I was going to ask how does it all fit together when it comes to an idea versus releasing a book have you found did you get a publisher involved or but no, self-published yeah with, with funding yes. from various assorted places kind of gives you a little bit more autonomy yes it I does guess. And it means that we don't have a publisher who is going to be focused on making money and therefore putting a lot of pressure on us to, I don't know, maybe get salacious stories from the biggest artists in the world or something in the book. And right. that's not the goal. Um, we want to have lots of stories and help from artists in there. Yeah. But we don't want to like feel like we're having to force that or asking people to share information that maybe they might not be comfortable sharing anyway. So yeah, and also like we have a very strong vision for it and Editorial Eye have like a really strong vision for it. I can literally see it. 
mm-hmm. and I don't want anyone messing with that vision. <laughs> so you've been working on it for a year? Yeah, we haven't been writing for a year. Last year was mainly like planning, getting a brick proposal together, because we were pitching out at some point. To I was going to say, how long does and you know the process take from it's an idea to it's released, whether it's published or you know via a publishing house or whether it's self-published. In this case, you know, with the research and everything like that that goes into it. Well, I think we started talking about it about it around May last year, and then there was like planning. I put a book to- together, a brick proposal. We put together draft chapter list. We started thinking about how we could fund it and should we go to publishers and we went to a publisher and then kind of didn't really properly get back to us so then we were like i think we should pursue the self-publishing route thing rather than trying to keep trying because we could have gone to many more publishers or agents even Mm -hmm. um but we just wanted to get it started getting it done so then we decided to fundraise it um and all those conversations happened to happen towards the end of last year like all those meetings and phone calls and whatever a few of them were very casual, a few of them were like proper professional pitches, so that takes a while to put together a pitch. Yep. And that also continued into like January, February this year, the fundraising thing. And then once we had an idea of how much we thought we were going to raise, and we had a little bit of money that we could use to pay ourselves a very small retainer just to get started, and not to have to take on extra work and to be able to say no to a few things, because we're both freelancers. Mm-hmm. Then we just started writing it, and we started writing it at the beginning of this year. Slowly. With an aim to release when, or with no aim, just let's get it done and see how long it takes. Our dream scenario is to have a first draft ready by end of September, mm-hmm. and then spend the rest of the year editing and rewriting, and be ready to publish early-ish next year. That's the dream. Okay. But neither of us have written a book before, yeah. so. Let's see how this goes. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> enjoying the process? It's up and down, okay. which I think most bit writers will probably relate to. Some days I have weeks where I'm like in the flow and I'm really in a really good headspace and it just feels easy. And then other times it's like I've hit a wall and it feels really hard and I get in the way of myself and I get, start getting overwhelmed. Um, and I find it really difficult and I, f- I find it especially difficult when I've got a lot of other stuff going on in my life which I do have right now about to move flat mm-hmm. been packed up two places in the last year and just there's a lot going on a lot of changes so that feels a bit unsettling and then I kind of find it hard when I'm surrounded by boxes and about to move to get into the headspace of sitting down and concentrating for a long period of time because I work best when I have my own space, I can shut the door, I can live in my own little world and I can just get it done and then I can re-enter the world where everyone else is. That's the best environment for me, but I've only really realised that recently. So um, I'm kind of taking steps to carve out that environment for myself in August and September um, in the hope of being super productive for those months and wrapping up a few loose ends that I've started. But I've got six chapters to write. I'm pretty happy with and, and like finished with two. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that there's lots of sub chapters. And then I've also done lots of interviews and research for the other four. Um, so I'm like, it's progressing, like I'm yeah. doing it. It's just, you know, one week it'll be great and the other week it'll be, I feel like a failure. But I think that's also just life, isn't it? Somewhat, yes. Is there anything that you can 
Like, what have you learnt along the way from that topic? Kind of a little bit of what might be going into said book. I mean, I won't really go into book content because no. kind of want to save that. Yeah, yeah. But um, a little teaser. Yeah, just I mean, just <laughs> as like a, an anecdote, I interviewed a psychologist who specialises in fame recently, and that conversation was fascinating. What happens to the human brain when you get famous? Mm-hmm. What an interesting question. Yeah. And how do you use fame in a positive way and make sure that it doesn't send you um, to a different world than everyone else is living on? That was, and she gave like one piece of advice that I was like, that is fascinating and that is so true. And yeah, that was just amazing. And and I just finished a chapter on social media, which is just very interesting and which I personally gleaned a lot from. Okay. Because I think that social media can all send us, can send us all a little bit crazy if we don't use it in the right way. Yes. Um, and education and information about how to use it in the correct way is really important. Was the was the idea of, of the book and going down this path something that has come from the journalism side of things, the things that you were talking about for Music Business Worldwide or any of the other things, and you kind of gone down a bit of a rabbit hole in this area and then thought, no, actually, this is something that I want to go deeper in, you know, from the, the bigger news stories that you were working on? Yeah, I mean, it was never something that I was, like, working on for any of my trade outlets, I'm a big Amy Winehouse fan and I watched the documentary back in 2011, I think, Mm -hmm. that that was released. And that was just devastating watch. And even when I was at the National Student, I remember writing an article about how she was being treated by the media um, and how, like, you need to look at, you know, an artist's well-being and their health before kind of throwing insults at them and the life choices they seem to be making yeah. um, and maybe it's actually a bit more deeper than that so I've always had an interest and if I didn't do journalism I would have done psychology that was my other thing that I'm interested in mm-hmm. how people work how the brain is related to just your own way of being um, that's always been fascinating to me and then after the Amy Winehouse documentary I wrote a feature for the independent and it was like is the are we protecting our pop stars? Basically, that was the headline. Yeah. Um, and that was that was right at the beginning of this whole conversation. I remember that came out, and at around the same time, there was a journalist. I think he's called Ryan Basil, who did a really good feature for Vice on a similar subject, but in a different way. And mm-hmm. he interviewed different people, and it was just like that was fascinating as well. And then from there the conversation just seemed to get huge. Like there was a thing at The Great Escape about this whole whole afternoon of conferencing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've kind of followed that conversation ever since. I've been to lots of panel discussions. I've done some other reports on it. And oftentimes the trade outlets that I write for aren't actually really interested in the subject. So it hasn't been because I've been being paid to write these articles yeah. it's because I'm just like I think this is really important and it makes so much sense to me that business should be looking after the humans that it's working with when it's exploiting yeah. the work of those humans and it's just something I've just yeah just a passion for it has has kind of led me down that path tricks and tricks have you learnt along the way that you can offer to 
anybody out there who's interested in in anything vaguely journalistic at all when you're either researching into anything or building some form of a conversation with someone be it recorded on for a podcast or anything like that are there any kind of little things that you can you can say that's kind of the the key things that you've learned along the way um number one if you want to do it just do it don't wait for permission from anyone start a blog start a podcast start a youtube channel um because i don't believe that there is such a thing as god-given natural talent as a writer i think there is god-given passion for writing and journalism Um, but I think to become really good at both those things it takes a lot of practice Mm -hmm. and that's literally the only thing like practice and dedication so start practicing as much as you can as soon as you can Um, that's that's also the main tip for writing like just you're only going to get good by making loads of mistakes and trying and trying and trying again and going back over your work to see what's been changed by the editor and really taking those edits on board and wondering why it didn't work mm-hmm. um, and reading your favourite writers and like really analysing what is it that you like about those writers and really trying to find your voice and just really try and quieten down all those all the other noise that tells you like to write like this or that you're not good enough or that people will think you're stupid for writing in that kind of style just write in the way in which you feel most free as if no one is reading it and that's how you find your voice and I still find that really difficult especially as a business writer because a lot of my writing is very like it's not it's not necessarily personal as a trade journalist you're not really encouraged to put your personality into things and I kind of especially when I'm writing the book like I'm really trying to I'm writing it in like a more fluid and fun kind of way Um, it's not a trade article and that's like a huge learning exercise for me because it's almost like undoing the last five years of learning in that respect. And in terms of interviewing, do as much research as you can beforehand. Really think outside the box when it comes to questions. Don't just ask the obvious thing. Really try and find out what makes people tick. Um, and then just listen. I've done this so many times, especially when I've been doing a public interview on stage, where like you're panicking so much about the flow of it that you're only thinking about what your next question is gonna be rather than listening to what their answers are gonna be because probably the most interesting questions of your conversation will be in the follow-up questions that Mm -hmm. you ask off the back of something they've already said. Cool. Thank you very much for chatting to me. I hope that was slightly interesting. It was, very much so. Thank you for having me. Massive thank you to Rianne there for giving me the time. Um, I'd never met Rianne before. and it was really great, especially for me, who is pseudo trying, chancing his arm at a bit of journalism via this. I'm still getting the hang of interviewing. So it was really good to sit down with someone who's got a lot more experience at it than me. 
uh, you will find links to some of the articles, some of the stories that were mentioned in the pod in the biog for this episode below. So if you are interested in reading any of the bits and pieces that she's written uh, and that have been mentioned, um, please do click on those links. You can also find her on Twitter at Jones Journo. Um, and there you'll be able to go to her own websites where you will also find links to an, a number of her articles and pieces that she's written. Um, as always, please do get in touch with the pod at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Champion or follow the pod on Instagram at behindthebusinesspod. I think that'll do it for this time around. Um, hopefully there'll be plenty more episodes to come over the preceding weeks. So do come back. Um, do have a listen to some of the previous episodes if you haven't done already. Um, if you are interested in me chatting with someone in particular, you want to hear something in particular, please do get in touch via any of those means. But until then, thank you very much. And you'll hear from me again very soon.